Remember during the 2020 holiday season when we were all told you better order those Christmas presents early? Well, I don't have to tell folks in logistics and supply chain that we've been in a perpetual state of the holiday season ever since. So I thought it would be insightful to get the man in charge of retail coverage over at Freightways on the show to talk about how retailers are prepping for the upcoming season in July. Hello again, Blythe Brumley with DigitalDispatch.io, and I think you'll like this one today as we covered a lot of topics, not only from the business side of the coin, but also what the retail landscape looks like on the consumer side. Think augmented reality or virtual reality shopping experiences. It was a fun discussion with Andrew Cox over at FreightWave, so I hope you all enjoy. Let's go ahead and dive into uh, with Andrew Cox. Now, Andrew, I'll, I'll start this off with this with a similar question. What is the one Olympic sport that you have to watch? Uh, if I had to say one, I'd probably put it in sevens rugby, but I, I'd say I can't say it's just one. And I'll also say I love the Olympics, and I'll say that I really go after individual athletes, so I, I watch a wide range of sports. This year in particular, I know I heard you earlier talking about skateboarding coming in for the first time. I'm very excited to uh, watch the skateboarding competition. and. Baseball is back for 2020 only. It's not going to be back in 2024, but because Japan loves baseball so much, there's six teams competing for the Baseball Olympics this year, so I'll be watching that as well. Oh, that's rad. I didn't even know about that. I thought it was just the women's softball that was making the grand comeback. So that's awesome to hear that that, that baseball will be making its return. I know that one that really stood out to me is, is, is the surfing aspect and then also the three-on-three basketball, which sort of brings me back to like the, you know, growing up in the youth days when you would just go to the nearest basketball court and you got one hoop and then you just had to play against your friends. So it, I, I've seen some promo or some training videos of it. Three-on-three basketball uh, already looks like it's going to be an incredible watch. But switching it back to your role at at Freight Waves, you focus a lot on, you primarily focus on the retail sector. But what initially got you interested in this segment of the industry enough to want to own that media coverage? I've been, I think back a long ways. I think I have to thank my mom for this. So uh, my father traveled a lot when I was young. So I was with my mom most afternoons, four or five days of the week. And she loves to shop and she's a bargain hunter. So I spent afternoons in Ross and TJ Maxx and Sam's Club and Walmart. And I just spent a lot of time in stores with my mom. So I was always just in stores and I always was paying attention to the way products were laid out and uh, about how things were curated. So I was always interested in stores. And then, you know, we'll talk more about how the newsletter came about, the community came about here at FreightWaves. But when there was an opportunity to kind of take take all the knowledge that I was gaining at Freight Waves at the time. I was writing these long-form research reports, and I, I was really like a mile wide, an inch deep on a lot of things, and I was really wanting to focus in on one area. And I love retail. I am a, I am a, a very good American consumer in that I probably spend more money than I should, uh, and it just, I, like, I, like, uh, I like nice things, I like consumers, and I really care about retail. Now, I, I know that this sort of seemingly changes on a dime, but can you give us a brief rundown on what the state of the retail industry looks like right now? Yeah, you're definitely right that it changes constantly. I mean, dating back to the days of bazaars, it's been in constant evolution. But right now, the, the challenges, the headaches that retailers are dealing with are really common headaches that pretty much everybody's dealing with no matter what they sell or uh, what they manufacture. It's The two big things are inventory and labor. So inventories are remarkably low from a historical standpoint. Nominally, they're actually a little bit, they have been able to grow, especially the, the big box retailers, the Targets, Walmarts, Home Depots, Lowe's. They've actually been able to grow inventories year over year. But let's say they've you know, just as, as an example, as a group, they've been able to grow inventories about 4%, but sales are up 18 to 20%. So it's just not being able to keep up with growth. So inventory is definitely one piece. And 
we'll talk about some of the port congestion and and um, and the things that are going on there, container availability that's making that even worse, but inventory is definitely one, and then labor is the other. 9.3 million jobs, several million of those are in retail. I read a report from um, from Salesforce that came out this Monday that they estimated there's a 350,000 person uh, labor shortage in retail leading up to the holiday season that they don't think will be filled. And so that's leading to higher wages. Uh, I've seen, a, on average, a 50% increase in, in retail wages, which is great for the workers, not so great for these uh, companies' margins. But in any case, labor and inventory are the two things keeping everybody up at night. So so labor and inventory are a big reason for, for what's keeping people up at night. But it, a lot of this is being driven off of COVID and the e-commerce boom. Is is With a lot of these retailers, if they don't have an e-commerce arm to their business, are they essentially doomed to fail? Well, not not necessarily. I'd say I'd say it this way. I heard Simeon Siegel, who is a fantastic analyst at BMO Capital Markets. He was on my show a few months ago, and he said he was talking about um, ship from store when he made this comment. But he said it applies to e-commerce, and it really applies to many things. And the, the statement is: this is something that if you ignore, you ignore at your peril. But that doesn't mean that everybody should embrace it. There are some great businesses that have completely ignored e-commerce, or not ignored e-commerce, but took a step towards it and realized. This really doesn't fit us. And the ones I'm thinking of in particular are the off-pricers. So think of TJ Maxx, Ross, mm. Burlington. These companies have very little online presence because they don't really know what is in their stores. And they have different stuff in every store. And that treasure hunt experience is very difficult to replicate online. So they do very well without an e-commerce presence. Um, if you are a big box retailer or if you are a brand that owns stores in which you have pretty replicable inventory from store to store, you need an online presence. You need a way, you need a channel for which people can buy goods online and pick it up in store, have it delivered. You need options. So certainly there, but there are great businesses that have basically no e-commerce and mostly they're the off-pricers and the, uh, and the really low, um, retail. So think of Dollar Generals, Dollar Tree, those types of stores. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, especially from the treasure hunt aspect of it, because you look at some of these retailers like TJ Maxx, and you would just, from, from a surface level, think that it would be really simple for them to just add an e-commerce functionality to their, their business operations. But knowing all of that, that in-store experience, that's really fascinating to know. Now, now going back to the e-commerce portion of things, we know that Amazon and the Walmarts of the world obviously excel at the e-commerce portion. But are there any other retailers out there that are doing some creative ways in order to, to keep up with those big box Joneses. Yeah, absolutely. There's a few that I'll name. Uh, and I'll break it up into a couple different boxes. There's some there's some stores that are doing remarkable things with their fulfillment from store and leveraging stores to fulfill an incredible amount of their online sales from their store. I think the best one here is Target. They fulfilled you know, about two-thirds of their online orders from stores. About 95% of their sales are being fulfilled by store. And then you look at um, Lowe's and Dick's Sporting Goods. I'll talk about Dick's ad nauseum throughout this because I'm really impressed with what Dick's is doing. They fulfill 70% of online orders from stores and 50% oh, wow. of their online orders are, with, are, are available within 15 minutes. And I think 95% are, are ready within an hour. They're extremely quick. It's much easier to do that if you're only picking up three or four items compared to, you know, if you're doing a Bopus at Walmart or Target where you're doing, you know, a large, a large basket order. But in any case, they're doing a great job with leveraging the back of their stores to fulfill online orders really fast and doing it at a great level. And then you have, you have companies like Chewy and like Wayfair that are direct consumer companies. They are dabbling in, uh, some brick and mortar spaces, but these are companies that deliver big and bulky stuff. They, deliver 60-pound bags of dog food and 150-pound um, furniture. 
and they do it within three to four days, and they do it with free shipping, and they've, they've, they've built networks, they've built their entire logistics network around big and bulky stuff. And that was something that was very difficult to do. You think back to the pets.com days, that was un, they were unable to do that in the early 2000s because the logistics infrastructure was not there. They have that now, and they've built it themselves. And the last one I'll say is uh, on this new, I don't even know if you've heard of these companies. I'm not sure if they have them down in Jacksonville. We don't have them here in Chattanooga yet, not quite big enough. But it's this whole age of, of instant retail. So uh, the big ones are GoPuff, Joker, Gorillas, And these are micro-fulfillment centers. They're dark stores, more or less, that have three to 5,000 SKUs, mostly groceries and essentials, some beer, alcohol, that kind of stuff. But you get very cheap delivery, and it's delivered within 30 minutes. That's kind of their shtick. Oh, wow. And it's incredible. I'm really excited for GoPuff to launch in Chattanooga. It's $195, I think, is their flat delivery fee. Uh, the, and these are incredible margins, too, because they actually own the inventory. They're not like Uber Eats mm. or like Instacart, where they're actually just pairing drivers with a store. They actually own the inventory in that store. So they, they don't make their money on the delivery. They make their money on the, the stuff itself. So it, it makes for a really good process. But it's amazing. You should definitely look out for GoPuff and Joker. That's interesting. I, I never would have even thought about that from a retail like experience. And, and, and going back to, you, you mentioned something about uh, Dick's Sporting Goods and how they, they've transformed their, their, especially from the in-store pickup. Are they having to adjust the store layout in order to accommodate the new e-commerce order ordering and also from the in-store pickup? Are, are, are they just keeping the stores the same? Yeah, that's a really good question. So when COVID first hit, some of these companies had you know, kind of, they thought about Bopus, they had tried to implement it, but they never really had, they didn't have that desire from customers to, to use it really. Um, and so they, they hadn't really fully invested in it. They would put a couple parking spaces out there. They would have uh, a box, you know, something behind the, 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 the checkout counters where they would keep, you know, the 10 online orders that they would have for the day. That's what they had. Now you're having these companies that are learning to optimize these things. At the beginning of the pandemic, it was, hey, we need Bopus and we need it in the next three days. However you can do it, figure it out. But people need to be able to buy stuff online and pick it up in store. And now they're looking to optimize that. So you have Target, Walmart and others looking to either build micro fulfillment centers onto the back of their stores or build them within uh, existing infrastructure. And these are going to be, you know, five to eight thousand square foot highly automated fulfillment centers where they can really uh, crank out 30 uh, item SKU orders in you know 30 minutes. That's happening. It's just going to take some time. They take, I read that it takes um, Walmart about $10 million to build one of those on the, to the back of each store. They're planning about 20 of them this year. So there is some, there's some thought going into how can we make the best use of our space because it's not exactly efficient to have uh, target walk, target you know, uh, workers walking around the entire store picking 50 items. If we can keep 30 to 30 of those items here in the corner of the store and make it much quicker, it's obviously more efficient. So they're thinking about that. So, so with a lot of these retailers, they're, they're in the weeds of already planning for their holiday campaigns in, in July. It's almost Christmas planning in July. So, but how, with all the difficulties that they're facing on the supply chain, how can they possibly plan these holiday campaigns, not knowing if that inventory is going to be there to begin with? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And I think if we look to Prime Day as our precedent for what we can expect for the holiday season, I think we can get some nice insights. And what happened on Prime Day was retailers, um, there were the biggest retailers, the Best Buy, Kohl's, Walmart, Target, they all tried to match some of Amazon's deals. But on Amazon's website itself, more than 50% of their sales now come from the third-party sellers. And those sellers didn't Put on much deals. There was not very much, uh, not very many deals on Prime Day from people that weren't the big box retailers. And the reasons were 
there's generally strong demand. They didn't feel the need to uh, put forth deals. And also, they have really low inventory. So I think you're going to have the same thing playing out over the holidays where you have pretty strong demand, you have really low inventory, and you don't have that pressure to discount as much as you have in years past. You saw it in 2020. Um, you saw that retailers across the board, brands and retailers, in many different sectors, they sold a lot less but actually made more money or made the same amount of money as they did last year because they didn't have that pressure to discount. Their margins were much better at the end of the year. And I think a lot of retailers are taking that, that knowledge and those lessons of ordering prudently into this year. Even though they do see a strong holiday season upcoming, if you look at the inventory levels, they're simply not growing fast enough to get us anywhere near where we were, let's say, 2019 on a sales to inventory ratio getting up to the holiday season. We're not going to be anywhere near there. That's not to say that there's not going to be um, inventory there. There will be. They, they've been building inventory, but there will be empty shelves, uh, most certainly. Uh, it will be spotty and dependent on you know what's the hot products. But if you're a retailer right now, you're thinking of how can we how can we drum up sales with the stuff we know we're going to have? And then how can we make sure that we get the most out of what we do have or what we might not get more of? You see what I'm saying? Sure. So so a lot of what we've talked about so far is is obviously inventory issues and then the e-commerce experience and then the micro-fulfillment centers. But what about the in-store experience? Are, are you seeing any creative plays there to, to get shoppers you know, back in those brick-and-mortar stores to enjoy the shopping experience? Yeah, shopping shops are all the rage. So Target has become, it's really actually quite interesting. Target has become what the mall used to be, where it has mm. all of these different brands and, and curated selections, but it's all under one roof. So they've got their Disney shopping shop. They've got, uh, they've got their Apple shopping shops now. They've got the Ulta Beauty, uh, shopping shops. So they're creating these, these small experiences with highly trained, um, highly trained workers there that are different from the everyday Target workers. These have, intimate knowledge of Apple, intimate knowledge of Ulta, those types of experiences, those are definitely happening. Uh, I also think to Dick's Sporting Goods, I'll, I'll jump back to them. So they're, they've launched five different concept stores that they are testing out right now. They've got one that's called the House of Game, which has turf fields, and it's got all of these different things where you can test out equipment. You can, it's got a whole batting cage. They've also got uh, three different concepts that are off-price concepts, which I think is awesome, by the way. Sports really doesn't have a very robust off-price environment at all, sports gear. And they've got a, uh, they've got a fifth one called um, uh, Popular Lands or, or People's Lands, which is just focused on outdoor gear. So these, these concept stores, these smaller format stores, are really all the rage right now. You have Dick's opening five different ones. You have, uh, look at Dollar General on the off-pricers. They're launching this whole brand called Pop Shelf. I'm not sure if you've heard of these, but it's more or less a target, but the size of a Dollar General. So very vibrant, uh, lots of direct-to-consumer products and things you can only get there, but very, you know, low cost and just aiming at kind of a middle ground between the Dollar General customer and the target customer. I think all of these ideas, it's just, it's a time of experimentation. And Allbirds, Nike, Under Armour, all of these brands are opening up new stores. And this is actually the first year and I think more than a decade where we're going to have more retail openings than, than retail closures. And a lot of it is because of these concept stores. Oh wow! Because that I was going to ask about the, the what they're calling the the fidgetal. I, I think that's the the fidgetal spaces, um, which is obviously a play off of physical and digital. And it sounds like Dix is is the one that's leading the charge as far as those AR, uh, I, I guess, experience are concerned. Is is Dix the only one that's really out there experimenting, or are there other stores that you're seeing that are doing this experimentation? 
They're doing it really loudly. I mean, there certainly are others. So Nike is opening up uh, some, some different types of concept stores as well. Where And Allbirds is another one that's actually really cool. They have like a running track that has all of these crazy sensors on it that you basically run on it and it tells you exactly what type of shoe is best for your foot and your running style. I found that that one's really cool. So there's definitely others that are trying it, but Dix is just trying it. They're like, it's like shotgun spread, five different stores at one time. They opened three different concept stores in 2020 alone. And, and CEO Lauren Hobart has come out and said that they, that these could just be tests for the time being, but I think they're going to stick around. Uh, and this is just another thought on, on a, on a full price company having an off price, um, outlet. I think it's brilliant. You look at Nordstrom with Nordstrom rack. Basically, whatever inventory that they don't sell, they don't have to just dish it off and liquidate it. They have another outlet to try to sell it through. I buy stuff on Nordstrom Rack all the time. But in any case, uh, yes, there are plenty that are out experimenting. Now, you're, you're obviously a big player in, in the content game with Freight Waves. You're, you're hosting on a lot of different shows. But one of your, your pet projects, I would say, is probably is something that I, I just feel it in, in the writing of it is your point of sale email. Why did you want to start up an email newsletter? Why did you think that it was valuable? Well, I got to say, it wasn't originally my idea. So Craig kind of made a <laughs> made an announcement and said that we want to start these communities. We want to start these kind of you know very uh, niche focused content on certain verticals in uh, in the shipper world, right? We had kind of thought of shippers as this monolith, but they don't think of themselves like that. They think of themselves as retailers or as automotive manufacturers or as CPG producers, right? So uh, when, when they said that we're going to start these communities, my first thought was I would love to do one. One, because as I told you, with, when, as I was writing those kind of long-form papers, is that I really wanted to focus in on one area and, and kind of just like have a craft, right? I wanted to own, an, uh, own a vertical. And retail is just the most exciting to me. It's going through so much change, uh, whether it be through fulfillment and the way that people shop and the way that retailers are building their stores. There's so much going on. And it's just constantly changing. And, um, and, and I think this is another thing that throughout COVID, I did, we obviously didn't know COVID was going to be a thing in October when I started this, but it just, you know, it, it came on so quickly, uh, when, when COVID hit and retailers had to just completely change because they, their, their stores were shut down. Uh, so there was, there was just so much to talk about. And this is just the beginning. I mean, COVID accelerated the changes that had been in the making for the last two decades. And we're just in the early, in, early innings of this. I mean, obviously, it's a lot of great insight that we wish we had. I wish I had a, a much more time to, to dive into all of it. But final two questions. First, or not really questions, but kind of a statement and then a question. But first, got to say something nice about the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then second, where can people find more of your work? Um, I'll say I actually do like the helmets, uh, the, the, the black <laughs> to fade. I, I kind of the black to gold. I do. I like the helmets. And I like your colors. I mean, I, I, I sent you those shoes the other day. It's a, it's a good color scheme, I'll admit. Um, and then they can find more. You can you can sign up for point of sale at freightwaves.com slash POS. You can also find uh, I also do another show on Tuesday called Great Quarter Guys, which is kind of a freight finance show. Uh, you can just Google, you know, Freightwaves Great Quarter Guys, freightwaves.com slash Great Quarter Guys uh, to check out that. All right. Thank you for being a good sport, Andrew, because if the, the roles were reversed, I would not be saying anything nice about the Titans. So You, you won't be saying anything nice insight. come season time anyway. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see about that. It's Trevor Town now. All right. I think we got Charlie back finally. So let's go ahead and bring her in and let's go ahead and ask her about her. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. As always, you can find each show I publish along with more insight over on my website, digitaldispatch.io. If you like this podcast, then I think you'll love another show that I host, Cyberly, which covers the attention economy, B2B marketing, tech, and how it all ties into the world of logistics. That show airs every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, live on FreightWaves TV. There are also some links to my social media accounts along with my products and services that might be of interest to you. You can find them in the show notes or again over on my website at digitaldispatch.io. If you found this episode interesting and or entertaining, be sure to share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best kind of marketing and since podcast discoverability has and remains an issue in this medium, I trust and rely on folks like yourself that will share it with those who would also find it useful. Until next time, my name is Blythe Bromley, and I will see you real soon.